avoiding tokenism in which guilt-laden white people befriend a person of color to make themselves feel better for their subtle racism and lack of friendship mm -hmm. diversity. There are some mm -hmm. tough conscious and unconscious bias uh, that people might discover in the process of trying to be more neighborly to people of a different race, sexual preference, ethnicity, economic status, and so on. How did, how did you recognize this in your journey? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary, a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Dr. David Dukason. He is the co-founder of the Neighborliness Center. He's also the founding board member of the Freedom Communities, an organization that focuses on equitable access to education, employment, healthcare, and housing. A former pastor and church starter, he's now written a new book. David, thank you for joining the conversation. Man, so excited to be on with you guys this morning. Thanks so much. I've been looking forward to this. So how are things in the, the Queen City? Man, God has been so faithful uh, and just loving um, seeing what God's been doing. You know, we've been planting seeds there for 15 years. And um, it's the thing about planting seeds, man, is eventually it starts to bear fruit. And, uh, and, and God's just been really, really, really gracious. And it's just all glory to him for, for the things that he's doing right now. So uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, organization that you founded with your wife before we get to the book, uh, the Neighborliness Center. Yeah, I mean, 
it'll make sense once we, you know, get into the, the you know, the, the bulk of what we're going to be talking about, but, but really our hearts were just really turned when we started to um, engage in relationships across dividing lines. And, uh, you know, we were pastoring a church that had moved from a more affluent part of uptown Charlotte, North Carolina. And we moved just to literally to the other side of the buildings. And we, uh, you know, just a few miles to the other side of uptown and right on the dividing line between the rich and the poor. And out of that just came this, this real passion for learning from my mistakes and, um, and then also responding to the call of scriptures to really love God and neighbors, like really, really, really figure out what does it mean to love our neighbors. And the neighborliness center is an outflow of a lot of what we're going to talk about. Um, it's, it's got three pillars to it. Uh, the first one is research. I did my doctoral work studying uh, the church's response to generational poverty and um, a lot of elements of holistic community development, which we can talk about. Um, and then, um, so research, policy advocacy, where we are going to be uh, advocating for local and national laws to be changed that are inequitable to the poor and the marginalized. And then I, the third arm is, is where I find a lot of particular passion personally, and that is creating resources for the body of Christ, for pastors, for Christian business leaders, for people that are a part of the body of Christ to engage really practically like boots on the ground. What does justice look like in our community as we pursue the heart of God, the heart of God, the God of justice? What does that look like? And, and how do we do that as the body of Christ and connect across dividing lines to, to really engage in work that, that is meaningful and sustainable and, um, and, and really healing in our community. So that's, that's the aim of the Neighborliness Center, which is literally just coming off the ground right now. We um, you know, are, are really, really, really focused on creating resources for the body of Christ. Well, let's jump into the book. Uh, the new book is Neighborliness. This is an invitation to transform our communities by crossing lines of division and to be the presence of Christ. You wrote, our neighbors, the people around us, aren't puzzles for us to figure out. They're people with evolving stories, experiences, quirks, and flaws. We won't perfectly understand anyone ever, but that's not the goal. Relationships is the goal, and that happens in seeking. Take us a little deeper into uh, you know, the story behind how this, this book was formed. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm taken back to a moment with my wife where I, I, had, I had made this comment to her and I said, babe, we have all these new relationships. We have all these folks that we're, we're really trying to engage in relationships and understand. And, and I just made this comment, like, I just don't, I don't think I can love somebody if I don't understand them, you know? And I think at the heart of what that, I think my heart was in the right place when I said that, but my wife... Uh, her name's Dara, and she's like five one, you know, giant with her shoes on. Um, she said back to me, she goes, I completely disagree with that. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, our love for our neighbors is not because we understand them. She said, babe, I've been married to you for almost 20 years, and I don't understand you. <laughs> she said, my love for you is when I seek to understand you. And it's that heart posture that that really, if I'm being very honest, that it, it was like one of those little conversations between a husband and wife that really shaped, you know, the posture in which we engage the community, which was, 
I may not understand everything across a racial line that I did not grow up in or an economic line that I'm not familiar with, but my love for the community is actually found in seeking to understand. And so our work was to be found in these relationships that were forming as we moved this church to this dividing line in our community. One side of the road was half million dollar houses and up. We could see Bank of America Stadium where the Carolina Panthers play. They are terrible at football right now, but they still have a stadium. And it was right there by us. The other side of the street was pervasive poverty. And, um, and so in seeking to understand and in trying to orient a church family to seek to understand each other, what we found is that there is just brilliance everywhere, the brilliance and the beauty of God. And there was a lot of ups and a lot of downs. There was a lot of things that we celebrated and would share together on Sunday morning as celebrating, you know, uh, taking new ground for the kingdom and, and seeing people come to know Jesus. And then there was really, really hard moments of just misunderstanding and, and you know, people that come from very different backgrounds, including myself, learning how to interact with each other on an intimate community-based uh, level was not easy and, and still isn't easy, but it is something that is worthwhile. And I think that we found that it's the seeking to understand each other that has really led to a lot of love. When you talk about neighborliness, uh, you frame it as uh, the behavior of Christians who seek, embody the love, understanding, curiosity, kindness, and care of Jesus. And, and we all know that Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. We've all heard the Good Samaritan parable that was told as a result of a question about who is my neighbor. Um, theologically, what you seem to be conveying is something more critical to our faith than just a general kindness towards those around us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, I, I think the call is to actually embody the presence of Jesus. It's not just to act like him. It's to embody his love. And so we be love. I don't even know if that's right grammatically to say that, but like we we be the kindness of Christ to our community. We be the curiosity and the care and the love of Jesus to our community. And if we're truly embodying the presence of Jesus for our community, that means that we have to engage across dividing lines because the life and the ministry and the presence of Jesus, if we just look at his three years that he so generously gifted us with coming to this earth, modeling what life can and should look like, um, he was constantly spending time with people from different racial and religious backgrounds. He was constantly spending time with people that were on the margins um, pushed aside, cast aside, looked over. Um, the, he spent time with the most influential people of the day, and he spent time with people that were completely overlooked, the poorest of the poor in the community. And uh, Ronald Sider actually says in his book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, he says, um, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's basically, do the programs of our church match the heart and the intention of what Jesus did when he was here? Does it, does it match the heart for the poor in our community? Does it match the heart of Jesus for the marginalized in our community? And, and, and really what this, like where all of this really started to um, like ignite a fire in my heart to the point that we now do this full time is I, I just really think that we, 
we do a good job of the first half of the greatest commandment of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's when we realize that, that it's not two commandments that the Lord said is greatest. It's a singular command. It's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is expressed physically and manifested in community by loving our neighbors. And then in the Luke 10 passage of the greatest commandment, the very next story is the story of the Good Samaritan, where he's basically saying, this is how you love your neighbor. And we have racial and economic and socially, so, uh, culturally and socially taboo lines being crossed as an example of what it means to love our neighbors. And so, um, you know, I would just say, you know, I want to acknowledge everybody that's like listening to this, whether you're a, a, a church leader, um, you know, a pastor or a staff member, community leader, business leader, nonprofit leader, whatever your sector may be. Um, like, welcome to the Imperfect Club. Uh, Andy and I are like card-carrying members. Whoa, 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 whoa! What do you mean? Yeah, no, no, no. It's obviously you are absolutely imperfect. And okay. um, <laughs> right. yeah, that's what I meant. Just to be very clear. But did like, my wife um, call you to tell you this? Or she? It was it was the pre <laughs> it was the pre call. That's why I was actually late <laughs> to being on the call. But you know, I mean, it's like you know, we're all a part of this club, right? I mean, like we're all imperfect, and I think that. Um, particularly the last few years, Andy, like we, um, I think that we can get a little bit like um, timid because it's been so hate filled and filled with vitriol that the climate socially and politically, but what I'm trying to do is spark a conversation and it seems to have caught on like where people are really embracing, um, um, uh, embracing the message of neighborliness, which is man, this is a discipleship conversation about how to embody the presence of Jesus. This is not a political conversation, although we do have to operate in politics. This is not a conversation about the, the hot topics of race and all of these things that are going on in our culture, although we have to participate in that. What I'm trying to say is if we could cut through the noise and the things that, that people are trying to drive the conversation towards division, there is a way to embody the presence of Jesus in this climate and in this culture that really honors and represents the life and the message of Jesus. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to do is, is update people's lexicon on matters of race, economics, um, biblical justice, what is God's heart, and then let's behave in the way that Jesus wants us to behave. So when you read passages like the Good Samaritan, juxtaposed to passages like Matthew's 25's parable of the sheep and the goats, in which one of the few times the afterlife is depicted in Jesus' teachings, and it appears that the, the way that we did or did not love our neighbor determines whether or not we enter into eternal glory or damnation. <laughs> is our authentic love for neighbor tied to our salvation? Or, or maybe a better way of asking it is, can we truly follow Jesus, claim to believe him to be the savior of the world, without fulfilling his essential teachings to love our neighbor? Right. That's a great question. I mean, I'm always really quick to say that I'm, I'm not the judge, but I, I, I do love the scriptures and, and I do love Jesus and, and, uh, and want to be faithful to what I see in the scriptures. And so my answer to your question would be, um, 
I don't know what the line is of who gets in and who gets out after somebody has declared their faith in Jesus, but this is what I do know, Andy, is that a, a life that is submitted to Jesus should, over time, and discipleship, it should model the life of Jesus. And his life modeled neighborliness. His life modeled loving. And do, do I think that somebody may lose or never gain salvation because of the way that they treat their neighbors? I, I don't know if I can answer that one definitively, but what I can say is I know the way that Jesus has um, intended for me to behave toward my neighbor. Um, I know the way that he has modeled it for me. And I know, um, I, I teach my kids this, I've got four teenage kids. And I say, you can't fake peace. Okay, so like, we know if we're doing something that isn't quite everything that we should be doing. And maybe there's some listeners out there that are saying, man, I should probably explore this a little bit more. Maybe you grew up in a setting where politics or racial things, you just haven't even really wanted to explore a relationship with somebody on the other side. I would say that your faith in Christ should compel you to build relationships instead of trying to win arguments because the life and the message of Jesus is always moving towards opening doors of relationship, not shutting down by just dropping the mic and winning an argument. And so, um, so I do believe, um, I will say this more definitively, I do believe that a heart that is fully submitted to the Lord is open and intrigued and curious about the experiences of somebody across dividing lines because of the fact that it is their faith, their central faith, the core of who they are, is that you're looking at neighbors that are created in the image of God, just like you are, and you want to know what is the experience like for my brother or my sister. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the challenge behind this this question, and certainly behind Jesus' teaching is is to to push up against the status quo of what we think being a neighbor is, and who is our neighbor, and how we treat our neighbor. I mean, in the context of the Good Samaritan, I mean, look, mm -hmm. Jesus Jesus tells this amazing parable about this uh, ethnic reject among the Hebrew people being the hero of the story to rise yeah. above the hatred and the vitriol to treat um, almost as victimizer or people group of the victimizer, um, you know, with love and compassion, respect that. And so it does, you are raising some fascinating questions about um, our sense of how we view our neighbor at the root right. of this book was a conviction you had about your church starts lack of racial diversity, that you were a bunch of 20 to 30 something middle-class white people. So why does neighborliness extend to our, our racial divide? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the two things, and I mentioned it just a little bit ago, two of the things that I, I want to model, and I think it's found in the spirit, what I, what I refer to as a spirit of neighborliness is courage and curiosity. So we'll start with curiosity. I think that the racial divide, first of all, we, you know, anybody that, I don't want to make assumptions, the, the three things that the enemy is here for, that Satan is on this, you know, like is on the scene trying to do is to steal, to, to kill and destroy. And so what would he aim for if he knew that Jesus said the most important thing 
in our life of faith, out of over 600 commands, the greatest commandment is loving God and neighbors. And so we all know that the enemy is going to try and distract us from our love from God, love for God. And so a lot of our discipleship materials are, are aimed towards that. How do we focus? How do we, you know, properly, you know, give, you know, God our attention and all that stuff. I'm just wondering if we've given enough attention to the other side of that, which is what does it mean to truly love our neighbor? And I think that one of the greatest tools of the enemy right now is the distraction, the deflection, the anger, um, the hatred, the violence that has been born out of racial divides. The only reason that we would need to divide in our culture is to establish power, influence, um, and economics, those, those types of things. They're, they're, we need to create systems as human beings to know where we fit. And so I think that the racial conversation has been hijacked by so many people in our culture as a negative and as something that, um, that is something that can only end in argument, disagreement, or worse. I think that the, the conversation about finding the beauty of God across dividing lines, that's a conversation about Jesus, is I need to explore my brother or sister that comes from a different racial background. I need to explore what their experiences have been like if I want to truly love them, because now all of a sudden I can enter into shared moments of lament, or I can enter into more empathy with somebody just in the same way that, you know, I have experiences from my life from growing up that were really hard and nobody's going to understand some of the things that I walked through with my parents' divorce when I was 12 and then growing up at the poverty line after being a kid that was a country club kid. That's my part of my testimony is what I just said there. Well, if, if somebody doesn't know that, they, they can't even know how to be empathetic with me to enter into some of those moments. And I feel like it's that same type of thing um, along the lines of racial conversations. Is I just don't think that we've taken enough interest in each other. Um, I think that we have allowed culture and the cable news shows to disciple us rather than the message and the heart and the passion and the love of Jesus to shape and form our lives. And if we are formed and shaped by Jesus, I think that we're going to be more courageous as it relates to our exploration of racial justice, economic justice, uh, what I believe falls all under uh, the topic of biblical justice. So avoiding tokenism in which guilt-laden white people befriend a person of color to make themselves feel better for their subtle racism and lack of friendship mm -hmm. diversity. There are some mm -hmm. tough conscious and unconscious bias uh, that people might discover in the process of trying to be more neighborly to people of a different race, sexual preference, ethnicity, economic status, and so on. How did, how did you recognize this in your journey? Uh, some of it was, well, I mean, first and foremost, it was relationships. I mean, it was building friendships with people that were walking to our church. I mean, I don't think I mentioned this. We moved a predominantly white church onto a dividing line where it was predominantly white on one side of the street and predominantly black on the other side of the street. Like over 80% of that neighborhood was African-American. And so first and foremost, it was just relationships. And anytime hot topics 
move away from just being stats or hot topics and they turn into relationships. I think that we would say a lot of things online that we wouldn't say to somebody face-to-face if we were genuinely building a relationship. And so that certainly was the primary thing was starting to see the beauty of God in people that were very different than me. And then, a, and then a season of just repentance, a season of asking the Lord to search my heart, like the Psalmist David does in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, you know, search my heart. Let me know where there's any wickedness in me. Let me know where there's anything inside of me that doesn't match up to the beauty of God. Um, and then I would say the second thing is just honestly, Andy, it was just like a season of like intentional learning. Um, I just started to read and read and read about things that I never considered reading before. I started to, to, to diversify my theological library. I started to reach out to friends and say, um, hey, can you give me some, uh, some theologians and scholars that I can be studying that aren't white guys? And so I started to voraciously take in um, scholarly articles and scholarly work theologically from people that came from a very different racial um, background than me. And, and it really started to shape and form my own heart. Um, and then, you know, just, I mean, even like super nerdy things, like I, I did a, a doctoral degree studying you know, these, these things and, uh, you know, focused on holistic community development, helping families break cycles of poverty. So in, in the midst of that, I started to study like brain science, the way that our brain is wired. Um, I, I mentioned in the book, this term, inattentional blindness. And I was like, well, that's written wrong. You know, like it's supposed to be unintentional because I'd never heard that word before, but it wasn't, it was inattentional blindness. And, and what that is, is a psychological phenomenon that you see something over and over and over and over again, you see it so much that you don't even see it anymore. And we see thousands of images every day. We, we, see, we hear thousands of words and advertisements and conversations. And what our brain does is it organizes information for us into the things that we think we need to be processing. And then it kind of puts almost into this like background noise, the stuff that we don't think is important. The reason that this is important, Andy, is for a lot of my life, I lived with inattentional blindness about the inequalities in my city, um, about racial dynamics that were at play that were negatively impacting my neighbors that weren't negatively impacting me, Uh, economic policies that had been going on for generations that negatively impacted my neighbors that were now in high poverty communities and didn't negatively impact me. And so for me, it was, okay, if I've got some inattentional blindness, that means that I now need to give intention to these areas that I don't understand. And it doesn't mean that I need to agree with everything that I'm reading. It means that I invite the Holy Spirit into these moments of learning and growing. And so for me, it was that combination of relationships, um, you know, just reading and curiosity, and then, and then really, really, really starting to dive into some things that I didn't know if I agreed with or not. And, and really found, you know, God's pleasure in that as we continued to just explore and, uh, and then try and flesh it out in, in, in life and in community. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. 
At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. Well, it's only the way of Jesus to make yourself aware of your conscious and unconscious bias. I mean, we're called yeah. uh, humility and it's, it's a difficult process and none of us want to admit when we're not right about things, or maybe we don't have all the answers to things, but it puts us, I think, in a closer place to following the way of Jesus. Um, but it's not just racism and classism that a lot of churches face in their pursuit to love their neighbors and the way Jesus calls us to many churches struggle with xenophobia and homophobia. What's some of your advice for a pastor that recognizes his or her congregation's current limitations, but wants to lead them to a more inclusive love for neighbor of those from a different way of life, gender identity, or or sexuality than his or her congregation is accustomed to? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it, it goes back to the courage and curiosity thing. I think that being curious about somebody else's perspective instead of throwing stones is really important. Um, I think that being willing to move, um, you know, one of my favorite um, uh, professors that I had in my doctoral program was Dr. Len Sweet. And and I remember he said to me, he said, said, David, I don't agree with myself from 10 years ago. He said, the the difference between me and you is I've got a bunch of books that I wrote 10 years ago that people still think I believe what I believe. And, and I remember thinking to myself, like, this is one of the smartest guys I know, you know, like, this is like, and all of a sudden, he was modeling for us this curiosity of like, maybe you grew up in a certain way, viewing certain people as less than, or you view somebody else as outside the club, and you're inside the club. And what I would say is that you don't have to eventually end up agreeing with everybody to be friends with them. You don't have to agree on every theological point. We don't have to agree on every matter of politics or uh, cultural issues to be friends. And it's genuinely in friendship 
that our perspectives are changed on something. Um, you know, I try and tell people this all the time. It doesn't seem like many are listening. Um, Facebook is not going to change somebody's mind, you know, or, or, you know, some sort of online argument is not going to move somebody, generally speaking. It's going to be relationships. And so, so for somebody that comes from a background that, that may not agree with somebody's way of life, instead of pushing somebody away, draw into relationship and open up your heart, open up your home and your dinner table and say, hey, like, like I, no matter what the topic might be, people are welcome at my table in my home. And, and many times as I am exploring friendship, God now starts to change my heart towards others. And I think that we need to be pursuing relationship instead of just casting stones at people um, because of ways that we may have grown up. And we have to remember the scriptures promise us, like we are rooted in the word of God. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, but it's going to be really hard to be led into truth. If you're going into something saying, this is the way that I think, and I no longer need to think about it anymore. Um, and so I would say, enter into relationships, uh, open up our hearts. Don't be afraid to read things that you just absolutely think you're going to disagree with, because it's in the learning about different perspectives that we find how to connect with somebody across dividing lines. I'm not going to lie, as a person who has pastored numerous contexts with congregations that face varying degrees of neighborliness capacity and lack thereof, this, this kind of thing takes a lot of tough conversations. How do you recommend yeah. pastors and congregational leaders have those conversations? Well, I mean, I think that um, creating a spirit of uh, like a humble spirit from the pulpit for sure starts there. Um, sharing stories of ways that you've changed your mind, you know, as a, as a minister. Um, I think that people are too, um, they're too drawn to certainty and they need to be led into the beauty of uncertainty. And it's okay. It's just okay to, to be curious. It's okay to, to not know all the answers. And so I think that it starts with a pastor leading and and i and i was a lead pastor for 12 years um and so you know speaking from that experience um wanting to make sure that everybody knew that that we could explore things that we felt settled on and and it's in that spirit of just openness i think that the lord really starts to um yeah just form and shape congregations um, but also, I think that we need to talk about harder stuff from stage, too. I mean, I think that we need to um, talk about cultural issues from stage. I, I think that people need to know what does the gospel mean in our culture? What does the gospel mean the day after a war starts in, in Ukraine? You know, like, what, is, what does the gospel mean uh, after George Floyd was killed and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery? And, you know, like, what is, where, where, do, where does a gospel-centric, church family what where does that family move towards as culture continues to move and and i think that the easy thing is to say you know we're rooted in the scriptures and we're just going to stay right here and no matter where culture shifts around us and i believe in that i believe in the word of god as an anchor for my life but i also know 
that that Jesus literally moved, like walked with people from place to place. He listened. He was open, and people's eyes were open to him as he showed interest in their lives. And so I think that as pastors model that for their congregation, um, as pastors speak on issues that are really going on in culture, it almost it's almost like it gives permission. Pastors are like gatekeepers for their congregations, and it it gives permission for people. To, to know how to genuinely explore controversial topics. What do you imagine happens for individual Christians and churches that choose the neighborly way? Say that one more time. What do you think happens for individuals and Christians and churches that um, choose the neighborly way? Well, I think that... You have to be ready to move towards things that are clearly the heart of the father that may have not been on your agenda. Um, you know, whether that's a pastor or just an individual, um, you know, if we're choosing the neighborly way, it means that we're going to love every single one of our neighbors in the same way that, that Christ loved them. Um, I think that we've got to be willing to, to open up our hearts and, and like I said, open up our homes. And it's in the way that Jesus opened up his heart and his home. Um, and I think that if it's, it's like Isaiah 58, I, I talk about that in chapter 12 of the book, Isaiah 58 is a worshiping community that Isaiah calls to repentance because they weren't acting neighborly and they were oppressing their workers. They were, they were hold, withholding fair wages from their workers and Jesus and God, God says to them, you know, paraphrased Isaiah here. I, I kind of hate your worship and, and, and all these practices of fasting because like the most important thing that you can be doing is expressing love to me by expressing love to your neighbors and your to turn their heart towards the Lord. It's this beautiful imagery, Andy, of a naturally flourishing field. So it's like, like, you know, free flowing streams of just pure water and vegetation and all of this stuff. And, and, and what I feel like the Lord put on my heart is I studied Isaiah 58. I, I was in that passage for three years during my doctoral work is if we choose the neighborly way, we find ourselves in a rightly ordered society because it was always intended for the, for the person that has committed their heart to Christ to prefer their neighbor. And if we prefer our neighbors, there's no more injustice. Now, this is, this is all very aspirational, right, Andy? Like, if we prefer our neighbor, there's no more injustice. If we prefer, if everybody is preferring each other, now all of a sudden we've got John 17, that the world is going to see our love by the way that we love each other. And, and to me, the, the neighborly way would be a strikingly stunning, irresistible community what do you imagine happens for our communities around these christians and churches that choose this way well i think that you know we start to engage in the societal things that are you know keeping us separated i mean you know like in charlotte we started to really engage in the um an amazing team of people that do this i was a part of starting this organization called freedom communities but I, I think that you start to participate in things like, you know, well, if there's inequality in our community, how can the body of Christ respond to that? And so we responded by 
starting freedom communities. And, um, you know, we've been very involved in the affordable housing space, um, helping families gain equitable access to education, employment, healthcare, housing. But it's not just what we're doing for our neighbors. It's the relationships that are, that are birthed out of um, addressing practical needs. Like you, you referred to Matthew 25, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a foreigner, you welcomed me in. It goes on. There's, there's all these very practical things. And I try and remind people, like, like, Andy, this wasn't, this isn't like a metaphor. This is like legit. This is like when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. That's a physical thing. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. And so like, there's, there's folks in our community that don't have equitable access because of policies, um, because of um, different things that have been decided and ordered in a certain way in cities. And I think that, that as we turn our hearts towards our neighbors, then we're going to be naturally drawn to using our giftedness um, and our desire for a relationship to participate in the life of relationship with people across a bunch of dividing lines. And, and I think that um, you know, I referred to it as aspirational. I would encourage everybody to take practical, like attainable steps. Like, okay, you're probably not going to go from like hearing this podcast to starting an organization that, you know, builds affordable housing, but you might be able to pick up neighborliness and read some of my story and, and be invited into a really practical expression of what that could look like in your community. Um, you could start to engage a little bit more in what are some of the societal things going on in your own community and start to learn and grow. Um, I try and remind people, Andy, that Psalm 119, 105 promises a lamp. And I think that he's given us a lamp on the path towards justice. And so Psalm 119, 105 says, God's word is a lamp to guide our feet and a light for our path. And I think a lot of times, especially in this conversation, many people are oriented towards action um, some are oriented towards inaction because they just feel overwhelmed. I think both are wrong. I think that that action too quickly without an understanding of what the actual problems are can lead to more problems. And I think that inaction just leads to uh, complacency and laziness. I think that what we need is measured steps forward, one step at a time. He didn't promise us stadium lights to fill, you know, to fill up the entire stadium, let us see the whole picture. He's basically given us like one yard at a time down the football field. And we need to rightly assess what does it mean for us to take the next right step. And that's what I would encourage everybody that's listening is, you know, if you've been thinking about this stuff and, and you're, you know, an expert in some of these things, well, go, you know, <laughs> start doing stuff. But maybe if somebody is a little bit more timid or maybe they haven't talked too much about this or, or listened to too much like this, um, maybe it's time to open up our hearts and maybe just take one step forward and just start to learn and grow. Our guest is Dr. David Dukeson. The book is Neighborliness. You can learn more about David's work at daviddukeson.com. Uh, David, it's been great to uh, exchange with you. Um, what, a, what an incredible invitation to follow Jesus and to love crossing divided lines and transforming our communities. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Programs include a 75-hour Master of Divinity degree with concentration in BSK's areas of emphasis, including Black Church Studies, Rural Ministry, and Pastoral Care. 
for ordained ministers or lay leaders alike, BSK offers nine-hour certificates in black church studies, rural ministries, and pastoral care, as well as two exploring ministry certificates for general ministry training. BSK also offers additional subject-specific training with Flourish workshops in subjects such as Introduction to Youth Ministry, Essentials in Youth Ministry, and the upcoming The Flight of the Soul of America. Now enrolling for fall 2022. Apply today at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.